Amen. That was amazing, wasn't it? I love hearing God's people praising, returning praise back to Him. Team, you all are fantastic. I, I want you guys to know how, uh, I, John, I'd say we would had a 25% chance of this happening this morning. Um, I don't know if you all knew this or not, but the sound system uh, started working about 9.15 this morning. So about an hour and 15 minutes, Ben had not practiced. Uh, tech guys were running around doing their expert stuff. Stress levels this morning were incredible. And so when you guys walk in, we're, we're kind of like a duck. You know, we look calm, but paddling furiously underneath. That's exactly what happened this morning because of our renovation and tech team and band. You all are amazing people. You're, you're, you're professional and you are incredible. So uh, uh, you all have no idea how unlikely this was to happen this morning. So uh, we give God the thanks for that, for, for moving powerfully in our midst. For those of you that are visiting, my name is Dave, and welcome to our second Pardon Our Progress Sunday. Last, um, last week, we had uh, um, the Pepsi party deck there in the back. Uh, with, uh, we had chairs here, and we had the uh, uh, lawn chairs in the back with, and everything. That was a good time, wasn't it? It was great because we don't need all, this, uh, all, all the comforts to worship God. But we are not done. We still have a lot of work to do, but you can see progress is being made. And so I'm very, very thankful that all you all are here and that all the volunteers that have done this. Um, a rough estimate of the man hours being put in by our volunteers is in excess of $20,000 if we had to pay someone to do what they've done. So um, it's just incredible. So getting to what we're talking about today, we're starting a brand new series. Those of you that, that um, have been here, you know that this year's theme is the adventure. The adventure, seeing life as a great spiritual adventure. That's what the year's theme is. And so this series, we're starting a brand new one today, and we're talking about what kills the great adventure and the first, uh, the first thing, which of the first uh, part is part one, losing your edge. And as Suzanne said, the, uh, the main thing today is when you start wearing silk pajamas, it's tough to wake up early. I heard that statement when I was in college. It just kind of stuck with me. Um, I found out that uh, the, the person that made that statement, when you start wearing silk pajamas, it's tough to wake up early, was made by jockey Eddie Arcaro. He is known as the greatest thoroughbred racer of all time, uh, racing in 24,092 races and winning 4,779 of them. He won the Kentucky Derby five times, and he grew up the son of a taxi driver in abject poverty in Cincinnati. Uh, he grew up on the streets during the Great Depression, rising to the top of his game, amassing an income of $30,039,543. Million, $30 million, over his lifetime. Towards the end of his career, he made the famous quote, once a guy starts wearing silk pajamas, it's tough to wake up early. He was reflecting on his gritty work ethic when he was an unimpoverished uh, uh, on, on a kid on the streets of Cincinnati, rising early in the morning to work on his riding skills before school, winning his first race at age eight, at 16. As he accumulated victories and, and consequent wealth, his work ethic and determination faded because once you start wearing silk pajamas, it's tough to wake up early. His story is our story. Um, 
I found this. So when I was a kid, there was a thing called the children's Bible that I, that I read. And, and it was over and over. They kept saying this one line. And again, the, the Israelites grew wicked in the sight of the Lord. And then something would happen, and they'd come back to the Lord. And then the next paragraph, and again, the Israelites grew wicked. And I, and I, I remember asking my parents, I was like six or seven years old, I said, were they stupid? Why did they keep doing this? It was like, like, like a bird hitting a window and not, you know, over and over, doing the same thing over and over again. And, um, and my parents said, well, I hate to say it, but that's us. And if you look in the, uh, the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, follow along with me. Um, The book of Judges is basically an endless cycle that we see. And we see that life inevitably moves towards complacency and lukewarmness. That's point number one. Write that down. Life inevitably moves towards complacency and lukewarmness. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 15, it says this, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah, Harris, at the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. Uh, They... they, uh, Followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because he, they forsook him and served Baal and the asterisk. In his anger the, at Israel, the Lord gave them to the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. When Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. And, and, uh, and I realized... That complacency, after reading this, complacency and lukewarmness, that these people weren't any more evil than you and I. They weren't dumb. They weren't stupid. They were simply like you and I, and they gave in to the, the default mode of humanity, which is lukewarmness and complacency. You and I are fighting that battle right now. I, I, I don't know if any of you guys are, are like in your mid-40s like me and, and trying to work out and trying to stay in shape. It is tough. I, I realized something about three or four years ago that once I turned 40, I started fighting my body. I'm literally fighting my body. It does not want to be in shape. It does not want to be fit. It doesn't want to go to the gym. It wants to get lazy and complacent and out of shape. And I have to fight. I'm, I'm literally fighting myself. I, when, when I was in my 20s, I didn't have to do this. When I was in my 20s, I could go and work out and I'd see immediate results. Now, I, I am fighting it. If I'm not gaining, I, if I, it's like I'm, I'm not losing, you know, I'm, I'm winning. As long as I'm maintaining where I am, I'm winning, I feel like. And guys, that is exactly, it's like hurting cats. You let it for one second, boom, it's all gone. That's, that's what it's like, and I realized that's what's going on with my physical body. That's also what's going on with my walk with Christ. Uh, my mind, my heart, my passions, also known as my flesh in the Bible, doesn't want to be passionate for God. doesn't want to. It doesn't want to be self-disciplined. It doesn't want to do the hard work of making disciples or doing missions or repentance. 
doesn't want to do any of that. It doesn't want to worship. My natural state craves lukewarmness and complacency like nothing else. It does, and so does yours. Just like my physical body wants to atrophy and lapse out of shape, my natural state wants ease, the passive least resistance, lukewarmness and complacency. And that is where, if left unattended, that's where we will all go. The second law of thermodynamics, for you science geeks out there, also known as the law of entropy, says this. Left to themselves, things move from order to disorder. An example, left to itself, your body does not become more fit. You sit on the couch, you don't become a bodybuilder, all right? Left to itself, your house does not become cleaner. And as a parent of college students who came home over Christmas break bringing laundry, I can attest to that. My house was destroyed. Left to itself, your house doesn't become cleaner. Left to itself, your yard does not grow a nice fescue lawn, does it? I, want to, I, want, I see a show of hands. How many of you guys are willing this, this spring to do, a, do a, a science experiment, to not put any weed and feed, not any Scott's Turf Builder, don't, don't water it, don't anything, and let's see if you have a nice, beautiful lawn. No, you know what's going to happen. It's Kentucky. It's going to be nothing but dandelions and weeds and clover, right? That's what my, that's what my yard looks like with maintenance. And so I, I, left to itself, your yard doesn't go into a nice lawn. Left to itself, your marriage does not become more passionate and more intentional. You neglect your spouse pretty soon, it's falling apart. And left to itself, your walk with Christ moves from passionate and focused to, and fruitful towards lukewarmness and complacency. That's why throughout the Bible you see this time and time again. It's not these people who are any less intelligent or more rebellious than you or me. Simply they gave in to the default mode of humanity. They started wearing silk pajamas, and they quit waking up early. And we're, when we're going to join them, you guys, we're going to join them unless we take a very, very different path through life. So when does a slide towards lukewarmness or losing our edge begin? The answer might surprise you. A lot of you would say, when adversity hits. No, that's not when, that's not when it is. Biblically, as well in life, it happens in time of great blessing, of prosperity, when things are going well for you. Okay, that's when it does. It is well said that people handle adversity much better than they handle blessing. If we were to look over in your life, when are the times when you were more passionate about God? Was it when things were going great? When the kids were all safe in bed and you had money in the bank and business was booming? Is that when you were most passionate for God? Probably not. It was probably when life was falling apart, when you were at your wits end, when you were face down in the gutter in addiction, or you were going through a divorce, or something, so life was falling apart. That is when you really focus on your walk with Christ. True? And we see that. In Scripture, we see something called the repentance rebellion cycle. That's part number two. This is what happens. And in Judges chapter three, just a, just a, a chapter later of what I just read, it's like a bird hitting a window. Check this out. Judges 3, 7 through 15. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. We heard that in last chapter, didn't we? Yeah, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them the hands of Cushion, Rishathim. Rishathim. Don't name your kids Cushion, Rishathim. 
All right, king of Aram, Naharam, uh, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. When, but when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, uh, uh, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Resethium, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. The land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Great! I wish the Bible stopped there, but it doesn't. Look at the next verse. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because they did this evil, the Lord God, uh, Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, son of Gera, the Benjamite. You guys seeing a cycle here? This is the cycle. It's called the repentance rebellion cycle. No matter where it starts, it looks like this. Cycle one, the life falls apart and the people are in great distress. Two, the people repent and change their ways. Three, God forgives and restores. Number four, because he was restored, the people are obedient to God. The people, God blesses the people and things are going well. And then the people forget God. The people reject God in his ways. And even in this stage, number stage eight, it's really crazy. The crazy thing is they even become critical and derogatory of the things their ancestors did to get that blessing from God. The Israelites set up a share polls and adopted the ways of the nations that they had destroyed a generation ago. So they adopted the practice of society that got wiped out and ridiculed the society that wiped them out. Doesn't seem very smart, does it? So great we don't do that today. Now there are people that are openly derogatory, and openly critical of the things that our ancestors did to gain blessing on this country. Because that's a part of stage eight. And then nine, because we reject God and his ways, Life falls apart, and the people are in great distress. This is a cycle throughout history. You know, I always grew up with the thought that everything back so long ago was so much better, and we've just been slowly unraveling ever since. You guys get that sense? Like, things were so much better back in the day, and they weren't. This is the repentance, rebellion cycle that has gone through American history. It's gone through the biblical history. It's gone on since the beginning of time, because people can't handle blessings, when we start wearing silk pajamas, we stop waking up early. We lose our edge and lapse into complacency and lukewarmness, okay? Cycle throughout history. It's not, but it's not just on a societal level. It's also in our lives, too. You see this, this, this uh, cycle in our lives. I wonder, you know, um, you, have you, how many of you have ever seen yourself in that cycle? I love testimonies of what God has done. We usually see testimonies um, through uh, stages one through stage seven, you know, where somebody is really rough, has it really awful, and they repent, and God saves them and cleanses them, and, and we usually hear about the blessing, right? Isn't that great? I love those. I wonder how, how few testimonies of stage seven through nine, though, would go because there are plenty of those testimonies around. Yeah, I was once on fire for God. He saved me, redeemed me, delivered me from everything, blessed my life. And then I just got bored with church, quit praying, quit going to church, started dating people the Bible said not to. 
started being envious of the non-Christians around me, started changing what I believe to be right and wrong. Then I cited the Bible really wasn't the word of God or that parts of it needed to change because, hey, these are modern times. And the joy and the love, the passion that I had, that's all gone now. I'm somewhere in between stages eight and nine right now. Life's probably going to fall apart for me pretty soon. How many of you all would like to hear a testimony in church like that? And yet, that's a very, very, very common story. Very, very common story. But uh, a lot, lot of us don't like to admit that stages seven and eight are part of our lives, but that's where a lot of us live. And so, guys, here's how we stay sharp in a world pulling us into lukewarmness. How do we stop losing, from losing our edge? The first thing we do is that you have to be aware that your default mode is lukewarmness. You have to understand that, that that is what your body wants, that is what your soul wants. It wants complacency and lukewarmness, and left to itself, that's right where you're going. Please understand that. That is something that we as human beings will fight till the day we die, okay? It's just the way it is. Okay, never, please, never use the words I've put in my time, now it's someone else's job. Please never say that about winning the lost, about serving in the church, about, about discipling others. Please never say that because that's the sign of someone who is on the, who's wearing silk pajamas and not waking up early. I think the key, I, I, beware, you guys, when all of your spiritual victories are in the past, when, when you, you, you did some great stuff in the past, but, you know, that, that's, that's, just, that's just in the past now. Be very careful when you start thinking along those lines. I think the key to defeating lukewarmness, everybody, everybody write this down, the key to defeating lukewarmness in a season of blessing is gratitude. Gratitude to God. Gratitude for what he has done. Many of us forget, if not all of us, that hell is our default destination. That's where we're all going apart from the grace and, 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 and love of Jesus Christ. That we are all destined for an eternity in hell because of what we've done. And we, when we lose that gratitude, that's when we slide into lukewarmness. We lose our edge. Don't ever forget that. Gratitude, not only for, for that, but, but gratitude from what he has saved you from. Some of your all stories, my goodness, what God has saved you from. It's incredible. Don't ever forget and be grateful, okay? Times of prosperity and comfort success, our gratitude to God many times just goes away. We have to be aware of this. Where that everything within us is pulling us from passion and purpose and direction to complacency and lukewarmness like it did so many people before. We must fight to stay sharp. The second thing, and I love this. This is where I get fired up, you guys. This is where I really get fired up. Purposefully put yourself in situations where you must rely on God. Wow. Oh, yeah. In this book called Why Christian Kids Rebel, page 86, Tim Keller says this, like Rocky Balboa, excellent, many Christians start out with a singular focus. For Rocky, it was the heavyweight champion's belt and the bragging rights to an indisputable title. For us, it is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing Jesus, enjoying him, conversing with him, singing love songs to him, confiding in him, pleasing him, and wanting to know everything we can about him. 
Those are the characteristics of many Christians who are on the upswing of their faith. Every day is like a training session for the ongoing conflict with the forces of evil. To the degree that we train in Christ's power, stand in the ring in his power, and ultimately fight in his power, we get to see God do marvelous things in us, through us, and for us, and then we get civilized. I found the fantastic way to maintain focus and passion for God is in going where I'm not comfortable purposely placing myself in situations where I must depend on God's power and provision. The jails, the mountains of Nepal, the villages of India, the landfills of Reynosa, Mexico, where families were living in garbage. It's impossible to be in those situations and not feel the presence of God because your need for him is so dire. I was uh, teaching at Summer in the Sun, which is a high school week-long thing several years ago. It's extremely well done. I was teaching there. And I had, no, 200 high schoolers in the room with me. And I asked them this one question because statistics back when I was in youth ministry said that 80%, eight out of every 10 Christian teenagers active in our youth ministry will walk away from their faith when they graduate high school, 80%, eight out of every 10. And I hated that, and I wanted to do everything I could to combat that. So I asked them this question. I said, what is the most dangerous thing you've ever done for Christ? What, what, what the most uncomfortable, scary, out of the box, if God doesn't come through for me, I'm sunk moment. What was it? The number one answer, I'd say, given by 75% or more of the high schoolers in the room, was this. Prayed in front of my youth group. That was the most dangerous, uncomfortable, out-of-the-box thing these kids had ever done for Christ. Prayed in front of people that believe exactly like I believe. And I realized something, like warriors who only train in combat by sitting in a classroom, they'll get decimated by an enemy with real battlefield experience. No wonder 80% of teens walk away from church when they graduate high school. They've never developed faith. They've never had to depend on God. They've never been in a situation where if God doesn't come through, they're sunk. They've never had to rely on him. They've never been in a situation they couldn't handle. And therefore, they never learned the essential thing it takes to be a Christian, which is faith. Faith. Faith cannot be taught in a classroom. It can only be learned on the battlefield. So here are some suggestions for Christians in America. It's so difficult to develop faith in America because it's so easy to be a Christian here. Some suggestions of making yourself uncomfortable. Isn't that, isn't that great? We have to suggest things to make people uncomfortable because we're wearing silk pajamas and we've stopped waking up early. How about this? Go into a hospital, 
walk into a random room, maybe in the cancer unit, ask if you can pray for them. Go ask the chaplain at the Jessamine County Detention Center, the inmates who've never had a visitor. Visit with them. Pray with them. We're taking seven mission trips this year. Haiti, Honduras, Kenya, India, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, and Portland. Sign up for one of those. Take vacation time. Instead of going on vacation, go on a mission trip and serve God. Talking, making your, making, putting yourself in positions where you're uncomfortable so you have to rely on God what develops faith. Those things, being in those situations has been what has kept, kept my, my razor sharp. Being in those situations where I'm so in over my head that I have to de- depend and rely on God. Okay? And we have to do that with our children too. Otherwise, we'll just continue seeing 80% leave. The last thing we do, we gotta learn the lesson from those who went before us. Okay, the Bible gives us a pattern. There are four people. And when they talk about Noah, David, Solomon, and the prophet Samuel. In Noah, Genesis chapter 7, verse 20, 21, Noah was a great man of faith. God saved him by you know, building an ark and, and saved him. Out of everybody, saved him because he was so faithful. Look how he ended up. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. This man of faith wound up consuming alcohol, laying around drunk. Started great, finished Badly. King David. King David was, this, was, was known as a man after God's own heart in his early days. All of the Psalms that, that were written were written when he was on the run for his life. He, this is the guy who faced down the Philistine, uh, the, the G- Goliath, the Philistine, with a sling and a stone and, and took on the entire nation uh, of, of the Philistines by himself, him and God. He had that kind of faith. And then when Saul went, uh, went haywire and, and tried to kill him, he was scratching out a living on the rocks and living in caves, trusting in God, this gritty, tough fighter. And then he got the kingdom and started living in the palace, started wearing silk pajamas. And the way he ended his life, and towards the end of his life, he was known for two things, committing adultery with Bathsheba, murdering her husband, and then taking a census, which cost the lives of 70,000 of of people of Israel. He started great and faded King Solomon, known as the wisest person ever lived, his David's son, started off great, built the kingdom. It was peaceful and everything like that. And then he, will, and then he fell off, finished badly. The prophet Samuel, interesting case. He started great and finished great, however, there was a disconnect between how he lived and how he parented his children. 
1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. And, uh, uh, the name of firstborn was Joel, and the name of second was Abijah, and they served in Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepted bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. Your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Samuel finished strong, but his faith died with him. It was not passed down to his children. There's a disconnect between his life and what he passed on to his children. Not only are we called to stay sharp, but we're, to finish strong, we're called to disciple our children or our faith dies with us. If you don't, remember your children are fighting the same thing as you as I invite the band to come on back up. Your children, the young people in this church, Maybe your grown children, they're saying that fighting the same battle as you, the same battle with complacency and lukewarmness as you. Some of you here are old enough to have grown children, experienced the devastation of, of your children walking away from the faith. My prayers are with you and your grown children. I have two children that are in college now. Will they stay in the faith? I hope so. But I don't know. I pray that they will. Those of you who have experienced the heartbreak of children walking away from the faith, what would you tell all the young parents here? What would you tell them? I would imagine you tell them that, you, that, that they must be intentional about discipling their children. Let your conversations around the dinner table revolve around faith. Be intentional about sharing with your family, especially your children, <clears throat> what God is doing in your life. Discuss scripture Serve together as a family. Taking my family, my wife, my children uh, on mission trips and serving together has been one of the greatest joys of my life. Learn the lessons of those who've gone before us. Unlike Noah, David, Solomon, and Samuel, let's commit, church, to finishing strong, to not losing our edge, to not give in to the pull of lukewarmness and complacency that has affected so many people in the church and throughout history. Let's commit to finishing strong. Let's stay sharp. Let's continue to walk in close fellowship with God. Let's take the attitude that our greatest spiritual victories are the ones in front of us, not the ones behind us. Let's resist losing our edge. Catalyst Christian Church, it's okay to wear silk pajamas. Just don't stop getting up early. I want to invite you to stand up. And if you find yourself just kind of lapsing <clears throat> into complacency and lukewarmness. I hope this has been a wake-up call for you. If you're in stages seven through eight of the, of the repentance rebellion cycle, I pray that today has been a, a, a point where, where you can make some changes, maybe a wake-up call. As we worship God, I pray that you would give up all of, your, all, all of the complacency and the lukewarmness that marks so much of us. Give that all up to Christ and recommit yourself to walking in faithfulness and, and, and uh, fidelity to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's not lose our edge. Let's worship God together.